Welcome to Light Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by Meredith. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, so I said to you off air that I don't want to start every episode with you being like, how are you? So I'm just going to go right into news. How about that shit? Oh my God. You have completely thrown me. How about somebody who wrote kind of an outline? I didn't even write an outline. I wrote like a list of words. So (laughs) I figured we could go, uh, just based on that, but I guess we should talk about, we just had an election, everyone. We had a midterm. Yeah. It was kind of big. It was kind of a big deal. And there had been predictions of a a huge red wave. That was like what the GOP was predicting. And that didn't quite happen. But I'm also unsure as to why liberals are celebrating. (laughs) Because like, it wasn't like we had a blue wave. Things are pretty close. And it seems like conservatives are eking out. If not a majority, they certainly gained more seats as of this moment than the left did. I mean, I think a lot of it is that the, like, historically speaking, and I mean, this is like, borne out by enormous amounts of evidence, things are really, really bad for the party with the White House in the midterm. Sure. And the fact that things remained really close, but they're staying in power, like, the, the, it is, it, it, that's really what it is. Like there's just no press, like very little precedent for not losing as much as the Democrats didn't lose this time. (laughs) Isn't it sad though that like that's the celebration now? It's like, hey, we didn't lose as badly as like we thought we would. Yeah. And then they're like, why can't we get people excited to come out and vote for the Democrats? It's like, because that's your version of a victory. Yeah. But at the same time, that's also very much the narrative that's being pushed out by national coverage that doesn't look at some of the smaller details of it. Like the, you know, it is historic that Minnesota and Illinois and Michigan are all like super blue and have been saying, okay, they're basically going to undo everything that Republicans tried to put forward when they had power right. in the last decade. Um, and there were a know, bunch of like really progressive propositions on ballots uh, that wanted yeah. stuff. Um, I, and also got to shout out Maxwell Frost, first Gen Z member of Congress. That's huge. Oh, I know he did uh, say that he remembered like his first political memory is going to a John Kerry rally with his mom when he was in elementary school and I died. Yeah, I'm a thousand years old. And also, let's remember, he became an activist because of uh, the mass shooting in Newton, Connecticut. So physically could not be more American. Right. <laughs> so uh, well, and yes, speaking of ballot initiatives and ballot proposals and such, uh, you know, it was a big, big day for um, abortion rights and uh, votes that protected abortion rights and put down uh laws that were designed to enshrine bullshit into like state constitutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a lot. California that, like enshrined it in the state constitution, right? I think so did Vermont. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, so now they're going to do all of this. I think in Michigan, there's something as well. So there's, there's a lot happening. That's really good. And as you know, I want to shout out my 
home state, Wisconsin, as much as I hate that uh, Mandela Barnes did not manage to win, uh, he lost by 1% uh, to piece of shit, epic, stupid person, Ron Johnson. But (laughs) in uh, like Republicans spent something like $30 million um, and ran some of the most offensive and racist ads I've ever seen in my life. I mean, like, they make they would make you look at Willie Horton and say, oh, that's really quaint. Mm. Um, and we're the most segregated, you know, one of the most I think we have the most segregated city in the country. We have one of the most segregated states in the country. Uh, some of the worst outcomes for black children. Um, there's a lot of entrenched racism. And he came really, really close. And I think that that bodes really well for future elections in terms of the organizing and excitement that people are bringing to trying to to change things here. Did you say um, the most segregated city in America? Mm-hmm. Really? More than like, well, I guess, yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I I know that it certainly was. Um, yeah, I, it, it has. It, I think it was a few years ago when they. Um, but yes, they. Uh, let's see. In 2019. Uh, the Brookings Institution released a study that said Milwaukee is the most segregated urban area in the country. Damn. That is surprising. Um, Yeah. And it's one of those things that it's really useful to remember when people around you start talking about how the South is bullshit, because that is a very myopic way of thinking about this. And it really like, it ignores the fact that Midwestern nice just papers over the fact that we just ignore our communities of color. Oh yeah. And that the North tends to be way more segregated than the South in general. I just, for whatever reason, Milwaukee wasn't really on my, like, I'm like Washington DC, incredibly segregated, New York city, incredibly segregated. Um, but yeah, yeah, you got that. Uh, so now I'm I'm already excited for things to gear up for our next election cycle here in Wisconsin, which is Supreme Court races. Oh, God. And if, uh, you know, I know technically they're nonpartisan, but we all know they are. If uh, the candidates that are good and supported by Democrats were able to take the two seats that are up, um, it would be possible to start undoing some of the absurd gerrymandering that has created such chaos here in the state. Which is huge. It's like, if you want to win any future election, we have to start dismantling the gerrymandering. So that's very important. Yeah. So that's where my brain is going to be for the next while. But um, it was, yeah, I think it's depressing that not losing as badly as we could, the Democrats could have is a funny way of thinking of it. But the most important thing that, came out of the election is rest in peace, Dr. Oz. <laughs> I know he's, he's flitted back off uh, he spent uh, with his wonderful so, wonderings. He spent so much money to lose. I know. It's and, very funny. And let's also like, let's shout out to you. You know, what is a personal victory for you, Allison? Uh, we've got some victorious big boys now, some very tall men have entered into political power. You know, it didn't even occur to me that I should be celebrating that, but you're absolutely right. (laughs) We have tall kings have entered the arena and we need to pay respect. Yeah, that's just all there is to it. So 
that's a that is something that you should be especially proud of because I, I think that they well, you, know, you know famously I won't vote for anyone under six foot two. That is just I mean that's standard just standard. I've said that is just math. That's my math. Um, <laughs> I, I always take my ballot and I march up to the volunteers and I go. I'm sorry. I'm going to need to know how tall all of these candidates are. <laughs> Before I vote, I am not voting for a short. You're like, I um, need you to break, like, please bring out the life-size cutouts. I've got my measuring <laughs> stick right here. It says you must be this tall to get my vote. I have to take a <laughs> selfie with all the cutouts to see who I look cutest with. And then I vote. Okay. That's mm-hmm. how this works. Yep. Yep. Um, anything else you wanted to say about the midterms? Uh, oh, Let's be excited that none of the election denying secretaries of state won their races. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Because, oh, my God, guys, that just saved us years of bullshit on the news. <laughs> yeah. Um, not like some Repu- like several Republicans did win, but no election deniers won, which Wonderful. is incredibly significant. So, hey, we'll take the wins where we can get them. We were looking at some really, really scary shit, and we have to at least give a grudging salute to the people in some of these states that have been full of of chaos for turning up and saying, you know what? We kind of like order. Yeah, go figure. Um, And I think like we did well in one, was it uh, governorships? We picked up a few states. Um, Yes. So that's good. Yeah. So, uh, but that's really my own thought. Uh, are we going to talk about uh, bad things happening to bad people now or are we going to wait until the end? Oh, maybe we should save it because like the next thing I wanted to talk about is a, very sad, but I thought we should say yeah. something on the show. Um, so the wonderful director uh, who was actually a guest on the show, um, Jeff and- Barnaby, um, sadly, sadly passed away uh, pretty recently. And I had not even heard about it because famously I'm trying to stay off Twitter right now. And uh, Meredith, you you saw it and told me about it. And I was like shocked, obviously, because he was so young. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I felt we should say something in the show because he was so talented and such a great storyteller. And we were such a fan of his work um, to the point where yeah. we had him on the show. Yeah. <laughs> Director of Blood Quantum, mm-hmm. the uh, native uh, film zombie film apocalypse movie that was just an absolute bomb during the pandemic. And yeah, he was an incredibly generous with his time and a great, great person to talk to, was doing incredible work. It took him 12 years to make that movie because he so, had so much wild. trouble make, getting funding. And but was did you have the thought, supporter. did you have the thought when, uh, because we had talked about that with him, like how long of a process it was. And then hearing that he had been ill and he had died so young, I had the thought of, I wonder if that's what was driving him because he didn't know how much more time he had. Yeah. Well, I know that it said that when I read about his passing, um, which actually happened in October and just, and was reported, but I didn't see it. Yeah. Uh, then, um, he, it said he had been sick for about a year. So I think okay. obviously it was a wonderful thing that he was able to finish making this movie. Um, also, uh, he cast one of the main actors from Res- like uh, Reservation Dogs in her- their first role, right? Um, and so was was really responsible for inspiring them and and getting them on the map. So now is is doing acting. Um, it was Devery, um, 
why can't I remember their last name? But uh, so there's, you know, huge, huge supporter of other native talent and, you know, really, really worked to make sure that other people who didn't have access to opportunities were able to have them in his work. And yeah, it's just a real tragedy that we're not going to see anything else from him because he clearly had an enormous amount of talent and tons of ideas that the world would have benefited from and been entertained by. Yeah. And he was just such a cool and funny guy. It is, it, it pisses me off because blood quantum was so good. So if you haven't seen it yet, go watch blood quantum just because it's a good film, but also in honor of Jeff. Um, what did you want to say about, cause honestly I do have two other new items I wanted to get to, um, but who are enemies? Who are we laughing at? I uh, the big enemy. Like oh, I the, have so many. Oh, uh, the the big dumb baby who decided <gasps> comedy was legal again. Uh oh, Elon. Yeah, yeah. That that's the next thing I wanted to talk about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We need to like, and also let's let's face it. Jeff would probably be very happy that this is happening. So okay. I think, yeah, we can. I, I truly yeah. didn't know up until you said uh, comedy is legal again. And even then I was still on the fence. I didn't know if we were going to talk about Louis C.K. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we don't have to. I like I, I truly don't want to talk about him on the show. But I will talk about Twitter just because um, it it's it's funny what's happening. But it's also like watching a slow motion train wreck. And um, it is like tiresome. You have to be selective about what you're yes. engaging with because otherwise it gets incredibly boring. People are just looking at everything. But I want to pose a question to listeners. Let us know what your favorite trollish tweet from the chaos of ver- like verified Twitter blue was. I yes. am going with the Chiquita Banana tweet <laughs> just because... We have not overthrown a foreign government since 1954 is so beautiful. That was great. I Uh, I was a huge fan of that. I posted mine yesterday, which was Doja Cat was, uh, (laughs) she had changed her username to Christmas, which is very funny. And then she uh, sort of had uh, second thoughts and wanted to change it back and she couldn't. So she was like panicking initially. And she's like, I don't want to be Christmas forever at Elon Musk. Please help. I've made a mistake. (laughs) How do I change it? Also, fuck you, Elon. Why can't I change my name on here? And then Elon eventually tweeted her and said, you should be able to change your name now. And then incredibly, Doja Cat changed her display name to Fart, um, which just chef's kiss, Doja Cat. (laughs) I, I thought she changed it to Elon Musk and then to Fart. Yeah, she probably did. That that feels right. Um, but it it's so great when you see a fellow troll go after a guy who thinks he's king of the trolls. And then it's like, but this is Doja Cat. <laughs> yeah. It's like, sir, you do not operate on the same level as these no. people. She's like Bane. She was like born on the internet, made on the internet. <laughs> you can't beat her. Um, so, yeah, there's been incredible owns with the whole pay $8 uh, to keep your blue check mark because obviously, and people demonstrated this, like with the Chiquita banana thing, it's a real bad fucking idea that you can pay to be verified for $8 because people will use that to do bad things. And like, thankfully, so far, it's just been like funny sort of troll stuff. But yeah, this is why it's a stupid idea, Elon. Yeah. Well, and 
you know, there was also a massive upheaval in the stock market because of this. So Eli Lilly gets trolled by someone getting verified and then saying insulin is now free, which real Eli Lilly had to say, we are sorry for the confusion. We're still awful. Don't worry. We're still awful, everybody. (laughs) They lost billions of dollars in market cap because of it. And Lockheed Martin, too. Uh, And it's best not to think too long about it, because then you have to realize that the problems probably started because they said that they were going to give their very profitable and more or less stolen drug away for free and not because there was a brand problem. But it's still great. Yeah. Did you guys know that a lot of um, drugs that uh, end up on the market are funded by tax dollars and research and development? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and insulin. <laughs> yeah. And insulin is an especially disgusting case because the inventor of it took one dollar for his patent because he wanted the world to have it. But now drug companies, which are responsible for the it's like three drug companies responsible for 100 percent of the market and 90 percent of the mar- and 90 percent in the United States. Uh, I think that's just Eli Lilly. But the um, they make tiny tweaks to the in- original formula and then say because it is just chemically distinct, they still get patent rights and are allowed to charge enormous amounts of money for it. Right. So that's why in the United States, uh, you're paying $99 and change for something that sells for $9 and change in every other country in the planet. Which, by the way, has killed poor people who can't afford their insulin and choose to try to skip a dose and then they fucking die. So um, murdering people by pricing yeah. it that high. Um, so the only other thing I wanted to talk about is kind of insider baseball, but I think it's interesting. Go for it. it. Is, so, you know, famously, Elon buys Twitter and he fires like 4,500 people, I think, immediately. And a large number of them were engineers. So there's a guy on TikTok, and I, I, I apologize, I don't have his name in front of me, but he's also an engineer. And he noticed he was on Twitter yesterday and he was... Um, you can run the code live while you're on a website to see what's happening in like real time. And he noticed that they had switched into developer mode, which I was like, okay, what does that mean? Apparently, it's an incredibly like amateurish mistake that exposes all of your users to massive security risk. And he was like, the only thing I can think is there are so few engineers still over there that somebody fucked up and they didn't notice. Oh, my God. So that's real bad for every user and every, like, brand on there that now they're... Not that Twitter was ever, like, super secure, but it was way more secure than that. Yeah. I mean, this is... Just because things weren't secure, when there's literally no one paying attention to what's happening, bad things happen. (laughs) There's just no way around it. People are going to be in any trouble. And also, you know, you have... There's already when there's already a problem with hacking and there's already a problem with these bullshit impersonations and scams. This is, you know, the danger only increases exponentially when suddenly there's absolutely no one minding the store. Um, Right. And that's why it's like it's sort of fun right now because we're in circus mode and it's just kind of like, as I said, watching a slow motion, you know, train derailment. 
But a slow motion train derailment of a train full of glitter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and right now we're all like, ooh, but then we're going to be covered in glitter, uh, suffocating to death. And that's what I'm afraid of next. I'm sort of like, what's going to happen first? Is Twitter going to completely implode or are there going to be, is there going to be pressure on Elon to immediately sell the company? <laughs> <laughs> I, I truly do not know what's going to happen. Um, I have lots of possibility. There's lots of possibilities. I am enjoying people doing the reminiscings of like, what was the most chaotic week you remember on this? Or what was the most chaotic post and people just doing the greatest hits of madness? Like, oh my God. Uh, what's her face going to Africa? Oh my and, God. Yeah. Uh, the, the random lady who posted Ruth Conda. Like, right. So <laughs> good. There were just, there have been a lot of moments. There's been a lot of beauty from that hell site. I would but, say it's yeah. 90% pure garbage. And then I can't, you know, because whenever anything funny or like universal happens where we're all sort of like brought together, like is the dress this color or this color, something stupid like that. Everyone comments on it because it's the exception to the rule. So everyone's like, man, that was a good day. So many good memes. We had a good time. No death threats from Nazis. Good job, team. And then we go right back to like the hellscape. Yeah, it's very true. Um, but I also, you know, I'll I'll miss it because I am sure as shit not signing up for any other platforms, especially not those that require me to do the kind of work that seems to be expected of me. Uh, listeners, if you have feelings about Macedon, please share them. <laughs> I we're not going to Macedon. I'm, we are not going to Macedon. <laughs> I'm apologies to everyone, but no, I'm done. I'm done. Listen, I've had to adapt to so much social media bullshit. I have Twitter. I have Instagram. I deleted Facebook. I'm not fucking going to a new social media platform, especially one that is just all progressives because well, progressives and nerds. Yeah. No, fuck that. Fuck the so, people that you would walk away from at a bar. You want me to just like be surrounded by them? Oh, <laughs> uh, and then you're like, no, it's really so easy. You just have to pick the instance you want to be a part of. And then if those are federated with other instances, then I already you can don't talk care. to those people. And I'm like, nope, that's, you've already lost me. It's nope. already a math equation and I'm bored. And I like I had seen from people that are like, it's actually surprisingly complicated. And I'm like, I'm a thousand percent out. Are you kidding? If it was easy, I would have said no. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, you know what? I did this when I was in my late 20s. That's why I'm on Twitter. That's why I have a few thousand followers. Exactly. If you think that I have any interest in this, I am Fuck putting off. myself out to pasture and I will, you know, well, you reminded Ugh. me of something I should be promoting more. Uh, we're Letterbox girlies now. So you can go follow us over there where we post um, reviews and stuff. Yeah. And we love to talk about movies, which is what we would prefer to be doing most of the time. Uh, so, yeah, let's just get really into Letterbox. Yeah. All right. Let's go into movies since we just talked about Letterbox. I was going to comment on the the Paul Pelosi of it all, but I feel like that's old at this point. Mm, but. Yeah. And let's just, I think, you know, we can be glad that he wasn't hurt more and glad that things didn't get much, you know, too much traction. Oh, one thing I will say, it was pretty hilarious when uh, somebody bought a, you know, bought a blue check and then um, got verified as Glenn Greenwald and then posted <laughs> simply uh, Tucker Carlson nudes. <laughs> 
I missed that. That's so good. <laughs> yeah, he got big mad about it. It was oh. really lovely. Glenn? Glenn didn't laugh at himself? You're kidding. Oh, I know. It's just that's my one last comment on uh, you know, on Twitter. But yeah, let's talk about movies. Yeah, so I this will be a spoiler-free review of Wakanda Forever. Don't worry, because I am aware that I'm a lunatic and it just came out, and most of y'all probably haven't seen it yet. An absolute lunatic. Someone asked you to go at 8 p.m. and you were like, oh, I'll already have seen it by then. I'm going at three. I should mention too that he is extra mad at me. This friend of mine because he has been trying to get me to go to the past few Marvel films with we have like a little crew we all go with and but I'm such a psycho every time he texts me to be like should I get tickets I'm like I already have them and he's like how they literally just went on sale and I'm like I'm crazy you need to anticipate it I never sleep and I have (laughs) calendar alerts for the moment they go on sale I really don't sleep like Charles has a really weird schedule because he's a bartender. And so he'll like get out of work at like four or five o'clock in the morning and just text me thinking I'll see it the next day. And then I respond and he's like, what is going on? Why are you awake? <laughs> Look, I thought that it was bad enough when I had one person in my life that would text me at 5 a.m. And then I would see it when I woke up. And that was my sister. Uh, now I get two of you bitches yeah. texting me at five o'clock in the morning, random stuff. I'm like, what is wrong with you? And I have big thoughts at 5 a.m. <laughs> where I'm like, here we go, bitch. Good morning. This is You didn't even do this when you've used cocaine in the past. No, I'm not. What the hell? You, cocaine, I'm not texting you. I'm out. I'm doing stuff. <laughs> I'm making things happen. No, it's when I have insomnia at 5 o'clock in the morning that I'm like, hey, do you think this actor would like me if I ever met them in person? <laughs> and then you get to think about it when you wake up. So... I really enjoyed Wakanda Forever. Let me just say that off the bat. I do have notes and I have seen some wild takes elsewhere that this is as good if not. And I've seen this a few places better than the original Black Panther. No, I'm sorry. No, like to me, objectively, no, it's not as good as the original. But that is to say it's still a good film. I gave it three and a half stars on Letterboxd. Um, What I really, really enjoyed about this film, and again, I'm going to keep it very general because uh, I want to avoid spoilers, but it's so unusual, and I really want to credit Ryan Coogler for this, to see so many fully developed women characters in a Marvel film and not in a forced sort of like girl power cringe way, which Marvel is very, very guilty of. What's so great about this is we have had this whole original film to develop these characters, you know, Shuri, Okoye, uh, Queen Ramonda, characters that we like really love, very unique personalities. And um, we have this like addition of incredible characters like, you know, Riri, who's um, uh, was a really anticipated character coming into the movie. Um And I just thought that was really cool. Like, it was very, very cool. At one point, there was, like, four dope-as-fuck women on screen. And I was like, this is really cool. Like, why can't we do this more? Um, So in that respect, I I wanted to give it up for Wakanda Forever because, obviously, with the tragic passing of Chadwick Boseman, there was this question of, like, how do you have a Black Panther film without him? And the answer in this film is, well... 
Wakanda was in a lot of respects uh, a matriarchy. So they just really lean into that and it's it's dope as fuck. I wish it could happen way more in Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully it will. Oh, no. Hopefully it will. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems possible. I uh, imagine you could start Googling. I'm sure that, you know, on whatever phase of the 15-year plan they're on, they'll tell you when they're going to let a woman direct one again. Have I gone on my... I know privately, this is one of my 5 a.m. thoughts with Meredith, but have I said on the show what I would like Kevin Feige to do going forward? Uh, you want, I know you told me, I'm not sure if you said it aloud. I don't, truly can't remember guys. What is the distinction between the podcast and my real life and reality and dreams? You know, it, it's a, a moving border at this point, but I would like to see going forward. I think Kevin Feige has been stretched way too thin for a very long time. And, and we're starting to see, uh, some of the quality suffering, especially on the TV shows. So I would like to see him appoint deputies to help him with like his insane 15 year vision plans. And I would nominate if I had to throw some names into the hat, I would say Taika and Ryan Coogler. I think if they were interested and like, obviously give them a lot of money because I think those are two distinct voices and visions. Um, and Ryan Coogler is very, very, very good at doing creating complex characters that are still compelling. And Taika knows that we have to have fun in Marvel. And I think those two directors um, would could be useful for uh, Kevin Feige to craft his uh, vision a little more. Yeah. I think that Taika would do it if they gave him a boatload of money and uh, contractual um, approval to publicly have throubles. Oh, I mean, that would be in the contract. Like, well, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. you're going to say, guys, you can't get mad at me any, like, you can't get mad at me for this, like, Rita Remember? Ora and Tessa Thompson shit. Any, like, that was ridiculous. So I'm that just is, living I my best have life. a conspiracy theory that that's what, partly why Tyga gets so much shit from people. I genuinely think people resent the fact that he is successful and he is still, like, an epic party boy. And I think, oh, I'm sure that's some of it. I think people are like, if you were to succeed, you should suffer and never have sex. And he's like, actually, I'm in a thruple with two hot women. And people were like, no. <laughs> I really think they got <laughs> so mad that he's not like this suffering auteur. He's just like, no, I fucking love my life. Sorry. He's like, look, my wife is like, I got a hot wife. I got this hot girlfriend. I'm just out here doing it up. No, we should. He should be a role model. Absolutely. He's not hurting anybody. Um, yeah. Everybody's having a good time. N nothing to get mad about, everyone. Mm -hmm. um, I wish there was a non-cliche go touch grass because I feel like at that point, at this point, touch grass is played out. But it's yeah. just so helpful. I'm going to start to say take a walk around the block. But like, I like it. it's a little wordy. Lap the block. I'll say lap the block. Lap the block. That also makes it sound like some sort of very weird euphemism for cunnilingus. Oh, that too. I mean, it could be like either eat me out or go for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> Those are your options, but you need to stop. <laughs> okay, so it works. Yeah, perfect. I love it. Um, so I do recommend Wakanda Forever, especially if you're a fan of Marvel films. It's definitely one of the, the better <laughs> Marvel films that have come out recently, talking about that diminishing... Uh, return factor and the the quality control issue 
I always, always, always look forward to anything to do with Black Panther and Wakanda and Loki. And I still love my girl Wanda. And that's about it, guys. That's about as excited as I can get about stuff. I am very curious to see Jonathan Majors um, in upcoming films, but Marvel, Marvel's having a little bit of a trouble right now. They're certainly no longer the dominating force they used to be. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think for the culture, it might be a good thing. But I thought it was interesting recently that Kevin Feige said, we're going to slow everything down. A couple 2023 dates got bumped to 2024 because I think he, you know, obviously um, he gets a lot of feedback too, has realized that uh, they have a quality control issue. Uh, oh, is it, is it time for me to come back into my body now? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for letting me talk at length about Marvel, something you do not care about. I <laughs> just truly do not care. I think it's like I, I did my whole vision just grayed out when you said the word Loki and, and then. Which is weird. Cause I, I think back. of all the, the character, I think you would like Loki. No, I've watched it and I did like it, but it's so like, it's literally like that they're your investment. I just sort of was like, uh, yeah, I into the universe. I've always loved like more of the magic elements where I start to my eyes glaze over is like anytime I'm expected to care about Ant-Man, I'm mm-hmm. just like, guys, I know Paul Rudd is charming, but when people people are like very excited about the next Ant-Man. And again, I am, too, because Jonathan Majors is in it. But there are just certain like C-Squad characters that I'm like, I guess I have to go see this. So I understand the next 10 films, but I'm not excited. I'm not like Wakanda forever excited, you know? (laughs) Fair. Um, Gosh. I'm trying to think now about which uh, other movies I've gotten excited about this particular week. Well, Um, you need to think on it because the only reason I'm like I could do another recommendation is it's also in the fantasy world. Uh, Do it up. Okay. So I also highly, highly recommend Interview with the Vampire, the new television series on AMC+. I really, like, was not hyped to watch this to the point where I, like, texted you and I was like, do I need to watch this? Like, I I don't care about this. Like, I didn't like the movie. Um, I don't really care about Anne Rice. Sorry. Sorry to this woman. Um, I It's just not my bag. But I had heard from, like, a few uh, critics who I really respect their opinions say that it's like one of the best series that have, has recently come out. And I was like, oh, and then I found out that like uh, one of the actors, uh, Jacob Anderson, played Grey Worm in Game of yep. Thrones. So I was like, oh, shit, I like Grey Worm. Um, let me check this out. Guys, it's fantastic. Like they spent money on this series and it looks like it. The costumes are gorgeous. The sets are unreal. The cast is perfect pitch perfect changing the race of louis is brilliant and so compelling and enriches the story in fascinating ways like not only like contextually with the time period obviously because you know they're in new orleans back in the day so um racism is prominent let's say uh, but also the dynamics between lestat and louis you know lestat being his 
master in terms of like changing him, right? Like biting him and turning him into a vampire. But then also like the racial dynamics of that because he's forever anchored to Lestat and Lestat's a fucking psycho and very jealous, you know? And also, mad props, it's gay as hell. Like so gay and unembarrassed about it in like ways that the movie obviously was really, really careful to uh, straight wash because it was Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt and they're both like, we're men, we're manly men. We're not going to kiss. What the fuck, you know? This is just like first episode, full gay sex. It's so over the top. It's so dramatic. And like, it's exactly what you want a vampire story to be. Oh, and that makes me so happy because we've been doing Anne Rice dirty for 30 years. Like they got one part of the 90s work correct when they cast Aaliyah in Queen of the Damned. <laughs> right. But they didn't actually let them, like, the movie was garbage. She's a good Queen of the Damned. Literally everything else about it was terrible. Well, um, what's so frustrating is, like, sex is such a big part of vampires that, and we're, like, from such a puritanical culture that, it, in my opinion, this is one of the first times I've seen, like, a, a true vampire story told well and like as it was intended to be told because like even like twilight obviously is so toned down because it's for like 12 year olds you know well and it's a christian so it's, exactly you yeah can't fuck until you're married exactly and this is just like we're gonna lean into the depravity of it and obviously like not that gay sex is depraved but like it can be because like, sex can and, be depraved, <laughs> and that and that's their ver- like they have like kinky as fuck sex, and they show it, and like there's just like really fascinating elements of it too. Like I I really like when stories get into the mythology of what's happening, and like we get to see Louis and Lestat having like full couples arguments when they're both in their coffins side by side, and they are just <laughs> Which like sounds like it should be a a piece a bit from what we do in the shadows and it kind of is and they know it's funny and like there are very very funny moments in the series but like yeah like these two dudes like they're together like hundreds of years they fight a lot and like there's a couple episodes where there's like a domestic violence warning before the episode because they really fight at points um and they're two vampires so they have super strength so they like destroy the home at one point but um yeah, it's just like they really, really, by the end of the series, I was like, I feel like I watched a real couple and like the journey they went on together. And like, even though Lestat sucks, I did have like a lot of affection for him and Louis too, obviously. And I thought they did a fantastic job. So if you haven't seen it, go binge watch it now, catch up. Because apparently AMC Plus has a whole plan to have like an Anne Rice universe much like they have with The Walking Dead and they're going to have several franchises of her characters like I know she has a story about witches they're going to make that into a series so catch up now I'll say oh so so excited uh and I just want more weird gay queer pansexual supernatural craziness me just give it too. to me. me too and spend the money on it people it should look beautiful Ugh. these people are eternal they should be gorgeous and um you know what i loved yeah. about it too like 
the costuming choices were so unique. It wasn't just like that gothic high collar shit. Like they really, really put a lot of thought into the costuming and it's beautiful. Uh, well, speaking of hot people doing vampire things, um, I just want to put a recommendation for anyone who hasn't, and this includes you, please watch The Hunger, the uh, Tony Scott movie from the 80s with Catherine Deneuve, David Bowie, and Susan Sarandon. I just, you know, had it on in the background while I was doing some work earlier this week. And I had just forgotten how much I fucking love that movie. Just gay as hell, hot people, (laughs) David Bowie. (laughs) Separate category. (laughs) It's all exactly as you, it's just wonderful. It, it's just, it's sheer 80s sheen. It, the opening scene is literally like, a, it's like a fucking Bauhaus video. Like it opens to uh, Peter Murphy, like with a chain link fence and he's holding the fence and he's like getting ready to sing Bella Lugosi's Dead as they cut to Catherine Deneuve and David Bowie picking up a couple for sex slash sustenance. Um, it is so cool. <laughs> I believe I, I did write that down. I put it on my list because yeah. you were very emphatic about it. And I know if you're very emphatic about it, I will probably like it a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's total candy, but it's worth it. Um, one movie I do want to shout out. I know we're past, uh, Halloween season, but it only just came out. It's, uh, Satan Slaves 2 Communion. Uh, Indonesian horror. It actually scared me a little bit. Ooh, okay. Um, it's the sequel to Satan Slaves. As obviously, you can imagine. obviously. Yeah. Uh, there's a family. Uh, in the you know the backstory of the first one is there's a a demon that menaces a family and ultimately like destroys the family in a specific way. And then later in the second one, the remaining members of the family are living in a, a house, like a, an apartment building that is in a floodplain because, you know, it's low income housing. And on a, one night when uh, a massive storm is coming and causing chaos and, and issues in the building, uh, strange happenings occur that seem to be related to the demon coming back to fuck with things. And it works well. I love a movie set in a tower block I mean, attack the block, amazing. Amazing. Come to a council estate, but there is something inherently scary about an apart, like a really giant apartment building, and the Mm. question, like the thought that you don't know your neighbors and you don't know what's going on behind the door, even if it's next to your apartment. I've always thought it was really interesting, and like you, you might be able to tell me if this does exist, but. I can't think of an um, like a New York example of that. And that's always really interested me. And I know there are certain like logistic barriers in the way, like it's very expensive to get filming permits in New York City. But I've always thought the two aspects of horror telling that have been like neglected in terms of like New York centric stories are stuff on the subway and in mm-hmm. the subway tunnels. And as you said, like, high rises where it's like that is very scary um you know like i think setting a horror film in a building like that could be really effective um well speaking of um subways there are examples 
but they've not been successful. Guillermo del Toro's Mimic, which was ruined <laughs> by Harvey Weinstein, right? Um, made his tiny genitals rot off. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is, there's subways and subway tunnels. Um, and also uh, Midnight Meat Train starring Oscar nominee Bradley Cooper. Oh, okay. Funny. <laughs> uh, it's a Clive Barker thing. And yeah, it's very subway centric. Okay. And it's called Midnight Meat Train. So you can imagine <laughs> a lot of what's going on. Um, that one's worth checking out because it's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm actually struggling to think of of something that feels really apartment, like high rise building. I know like one oriented. of the insidiouses was in an apartment. Um, I just, uh, I guess so. Now I'm struggling. Um, it was the, with the girl, the, the young girl. Um, I just remember there were like neighbors who heard stuff happening and I was like, yeah, that. And I think part of it, too, is, as I said, it's very expensive to shoot on the subway. And that weird thing happens if you try to not shoot in New York, but make it seem like you shot in New York, where it just, like, does not feel real. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe to avoid that, they're sort of like, this, too, is set in the suburbs. Everything happens in the suburbs. Nothing ever happens in the city. Um, Yeah. Well, um, there is a really good book uh colson whitehead zone one is a zombie apocalypse novel that isn't set inside a high rise but is entirely about in addition to apocalypse stuff um it's set just in lower manhattan like zone one is just like the wall street area and the survivors are all like part of a military force that are responsible for clearing zone one what is it called zone one there's also a graphic novel called DMZ that's very similar to that, where it's also in Manhattan, but also like the boroughs, and they're divided into zones. Yeah. Well, so, and in this one, like they have to go through and clear these. So there are many scenes and like many sort of sections of the book that are set while the characters are going through giant office towers or apartment buildings from apartment to, from, from space to space, making sure that there are no like, clearing out any remaining zombies or whatever. So uh, there's a little bit of the vibe there, but I'm really struggling except for that George Romero city of, was it city of the dead? It's the one where Dennis Hopper right. lives inside the apartment, but that's also like, doesn't really count because it's post-apocalyptic and it's Romero. So it's a different vibe. Um, it's just interesting. Anyone actually can think of, yeah. uh, you know, an example of this in American cinema, because everything I'm imagining is coming up like European. Um, I just think I'm definitely thinking of it's like Britain, France, uh, like Spain, right? All have examples um, of this. But yeah, not really in the United States. I just always thought it was such a waste because I'm like, Man, a a modern ghost story in New York could be so cool. Or like, yeah, like a zombie outbreak in public housing. Like, I mean, just insanity, insanity. Well, that was part of the reason when The Walking Dead franchised, I got really excited because the whole idea of um, the, the second Walking Dead one they did was, okay, we saw what happened 
in like rural areas, but like what happened in the city when there was an outbreak or in the cities in the United States. And that was obviously just complete chaos. <laughs> they needed like a bigger budget to shoot. And yeah. at least the first couple episodes were so fucking dope. I was like, this is so cool. And you never get to see this shit like in the middle of the city. I'm like, that could be incredible. Yeah. Um, yep. I'm sorry that there's just problems with figuring out how to do it, but Sorry I would to this love man. to see it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the last thing that I wanted to recommend is I'll give it a recommendation, even though, again, I have notes. Uh, season five of The Crown is out right now on Netflix. And I think I have one more episode to watch, but I've seen most of it. No spoilers. Don't worry. Um, even though, like, if you pay attention to history at all, you know what happens. Um, I think for the most part, the casting decisions were really successful. I think Elizabeth Debicki is wonderful as Princess Diana, even though it is so deeply funny because she's like 11 feet tall and they <laughs> really don't try to hide that fact at all. In fact, they start to use her height as a, like a little bit of a metaphor because Diana is this larger than life cultural icon and having a woman like Elizabeth Debicki play her is in itself symbolic because she is a giant person. Um, and she just towers over Dominic West who plays Prince Charles. Um, but speaking of Dominic West, I think he is one of the casting uh, flubs of season mm -hmm. five. He's way too hot to play Prince Charles. He doesn't have that same sort of awkwardness that... I was going to say he's clearly way too confident. Way too confident. And like that really comes through. Even when he is trying to play insecure and submissive, the Dominic West of it all just comes through way too much. It would be like if they had had Matt Smith play Prince Charles instead of Philip. <laughs> That's really what it feels like. Like there's way too much swagger in this guy. And Prince Charles is a fucking dork, you know? God, well, at least Matt Smith would have been ugly enough. <laughs> oh, he, You're hot, Matt. You're hot on the inside. Don't listen to literally everyone other than me. Uh, and then... Other than that, I think the uh, um, Imelda Staunton as Queen Elizabeth, Leslie Manville as Princess Margaret, like chef's kiss all around, like so good. Um, Jonathan Price doing good as Prince Philip, although I do miss Matt Smith. I Matt was just like so compelling to watch as that character. I mean, he is just so gifted at making assholes be watchable, <laughs> you know, uh, that's like his whole bag. Um, and then, Oh my God, Allison, this is a total episode of me just like rolling my eyes out of my consciousness <laughs> as you speak about things that you like. It's really crushing me. Oh my God. <laughs> Thank you so much. I feel supported, um, in so many ways. Um, but yeah, I like, I'll say this. It's like a mixed bag of certain episodes are really, really effective. There's an, a, a very interesting episode about the uh, the Russian czar and his family um, and their relationship with the English royalty. That's pretty interesting and stuff I did not know about. Um, and then there are episodes that are so fucking heavy handed with the metaphor of it all where it's like, I get it. It's all about duty and dignity. Like, I get it. And I am, like, partly glad this is the last season because I'm like, 
Listen, watching The Crown as someone who's not a royalist, like speaking of my eyes rolling and leaving my body, like anytime they try to be like, but they are good people. I'm like, are they though? (laughs) (laughs) Are they really? Um, Uh, Oh, God. Thinking of The Crown, shout out to the Norwegian princess who gave up her royal duties and official like sort of position within the family to marry an American shaman. Oh, my God. Go with God, my friend. Definitely a decision you won't come to regret deeply in a decade. I support you. We all have to go on our own journeys. Um, That woman is 51 years old. She is making a fully informed choice. Okay. I guess go with the shaman. Um, hopefully that will work out for you. I'm sure like Prince Harry is also having uh, similar thoughts right now. Like yeah, late at night. Um, oh God. So I will say, you know, I'm just going to come in with a classic that is on the other side of, um, well, certainly not Royalist Britain. If you've never seen the movie, The Long Good Friday starring Bob Hoskins, find a way to watch that shit. Oh my God. It's good. He's like, it's it's small business it's like gangsters it's striving for a better life it's tragedy it's like british on the waterfront but without the like baggage of Ilya kazan like ratting out his fellow man um it's just a beautiful beautiful film from the early 80s and also uh i want to say oh rosie is also chiming in recommended uh yeah I'm just in my old age, I'm becoming more and more obsessed with the late Bob Hoskins, um, which relates to a conversation we had earlier uh, this week about who framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, my God. Somebody like posted this meme where they were like these scenes from these was were they all animations? I forget. No, they weren't all animations, but they included uh, it was like all kids movies. So they included the Dark Crystal and Never Ending Story. Like these scenes fucked you up for life. And one of the scenes is in Roger Rabbit when they're dipping the shoe in the acid. Uh, And like you sent that to me and I was like a wave of memories came rushing back to me. And then we started like talking about how deeply weird who framed Roger Rabbit (laughs) actually, which is not like an interesting or unique thought, but just like if you ever sit down and have a quiet moment and just start, start like listing like, the fact that public transportation is a large part of the story <laughs> who framed Roger Rabbit and that like, yeah, Jessica Rabbit is like this like borderline like porn cartoon actress in a child story is very strange. And also, yes, that Bob Hops- Hopkins is supposed to be like a sexy character. But he is significantly more like... It's a it is a straight up ripoff of Chinatown, and he is so much sexier than Jack Nicholson ever was. Listen, as he was in Chinatown, he so. was. Yeah, like when you were like, remember how he was supposed to be sexy? I was like, I think even when I was a kid, I was like, he's like a handsome man. Like I did, I do yeah. think I thought he was like hot. Um, yeah, he's like five feet tall and bald and hairy as hell. But when he's wearing his white wife beater and suspenders and his trousers, when he's just like being depressive, alcoholic, like private eye, I was like, no, this is working for me. This is really doing it. And then, of course, like the sexual confusion of like being so afraid of Chris Lloyd at the end of that film. We're like, (laughs) I had the voice in my head where it's like, remember me, Eddie, when I killed your brother? I turned (laughs) like this. I was like, oh, my God, I can quote it. 
And like yeah. when he's screaming at like the weasels, you're always laughing, laughing at nothing. Like the end of that film fucked me up so badly that like I was just replaying it in my mind when we were talking about it. But yeah. also like it did develop like why I'm a weirdo, I I feel like, which is yeah, a good it was thing. A- it was a wonderful thing. You know, my take on it was, yes, it made a bunch of us weirdos. It also meant that we were all primed to hate Robert Moses even before <laughs> we had to sit down and read The Power Broker. Right. Um, like, basically, you didn't really need to read the entirety of The Power Broker if you got really into Who Framed Roger Rabbit because you were already aware of, like, the power of individual, like, forces of so-called progress. Um, and then I was telling you, yeah. I, I fully believe that the reason I'm a leftist is I saw Who Framed Roger Rabbit and I was like, public transportation is good and evil corporations are trying to destroy the world. Then I was like in love with every single young man in Newsies. So I was like, OK, and, you know, the the big corporate conglomerates taking over media are also the enemy. And then Trifecta watch The Little Mermaid, which is secret vegan propaganda. And I was like, and I guess I don't eat meat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we did get some good stuff. Um, But, you know, to tie it all back to my recommendation, yes, it's like a crime drama. Um, Low level gangster type wants to start a real business. It brings in the IRA. It's, uh, you know, set in the 70s. So it's political, police corruption, gangsters, um, and it's Helen Mirren and Bob Hoskins. And God. interestingly enough, uh, ended up being released theatrically because of George Harrison. Because in the 70s, George Harrison started a film production company called Handmade oh. Films that was uh, exists entirely because he was friends with Eric Idle. And when Life of Brian got dropped by the company that was making it and funding it, he mortgaged his home and put, took out loans so that he could raise the budget for Life of Brian. And then was like, oh, I guess I made a, I guess I started a film company. So he went on to release all kinds of like independent British movies, uh, some of which are super famous, like With Nail and I, oh. handmade films. Okay. Like, if you have you have seen a cult classic British movie from the late seventies and early eighties, you are probably watching a movie that George Harrison had something to do with. That just reminded me, and I'm so sorry. This is the last time I'll talk about it. But did you know this? And I fully did not know this. That you know, uh, Princess Diana had the affair with Dodie, right? So like yeah. everybody knows that. Did you know that he produced Chariots of Fire? I did not. What the fuck? Neither did I. And it's like a huge part of the crown. It's like <laughs> how he like defines himself and distinguishes himself from his father. It's like fascinating. But I was like, and then they play the actual clip when they won the Oscars and they thank the Dodies in the speech. Huh. Fascinating. That's so interesting. Yeah, I I thought that was really interesting. And it reminded me when you were like, George Harrison produced this. I was like, you know who yeah. else produced something you wouldn't expect? The fucking Tonys. Yes. I mean, sorry for the, the massive tangent going no, no, away no. from the crown. Please. But I, this is like a good excuse. I just fully endorse going out there and finding a random ass movie from the early 80s. I love random ass recommendations that's what this show's all about any other ricky rex before we peace out uh not at the moment i feel like if i do i'll send them to you and we can kind of 
put them out over the channels. But Dope. it's been kind of a quiet week of uh, working and rewatching The Americans because I Ugh. am just getting ready for winter mode. One of the best ever. And like consistently not on prestige TV top lists, I feel like, which is yeah, weird. which pisses me off because it is so good. So good. And they stuck the landing and the last episode is devastating. <laughs> so devastating. That's like an instant cry for me. Oof. I will just lose my shit. And one of the things I miss most about living in New York City is that just when you live, when you were walking around in Brooklyn, there was always like an 80% chance you were going to see Carrie Russell and Matthew Reese walking around. At any and they were, moment. At any moment. And they were always absolutely flawless and gorgeous. Yes. And it was just like, oh, my day is brightened because I have seen this beauty. Just another reason you have to come visit so you can look mm-hmm. for them. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's totally not super creepy at all. No, they'll love it. They'll love it. Uh, guys, thanks so much for listening. Please follow Meredith on all the socials at Meredith L. Clark. Follow on Letterboxd. I'm also there at Allison Kilkenny. You can follow Light Trees and Pod on Twitter, also on Instagram. If you have any thoughts, questions, concerns, use the hashtag Light Trees and Pod. If you're a fan of the show and you're like, I have to give them money, thank you so much. Go to lighttreason.news, smash that donate button, or go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. For as little as $5 a month, can you believe it? You get to send us questions and recommendations and we'll read them on the show. What a deal. Thanks so much for listening. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. 